0: Well, it's my privilege today to bring the Word, the ministry of the Word, and wherever you're at, I just uh, trust that you'll just posture yourself, not in a place of sleep, although it's very tempting in that recliner, just so you know, there's a button that actually kicks your feet up, if you want to tap out, but to receive the Word as a ministry, an engagement, the Word of God is living and active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it does the job it's meant to do. We're on our final sermon in Ephesians. Yes, it's been a long road, I agree. We started in mid-September, it's around 26, yes, 26 sermons in Ephesians. The Cardinal, don't do that, you're supposed to do it quicker, but we're trusting the Lord. And uh, I want to just, before I touch down on the final kind of chunk of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6 that Paul gives, I'd love us to just to give us a, a bit of a contextual overview to this book. And I want to highlight sort of five things that I tend to migrate away from when I forget or neglect my salvation. When I get caught up with the distractions of this world. When the seeds that are sown in me get, get, get eaten and choked out by the cares and concerns. Some of these things start to slip and they start to lose their immediacy and their conviction. But before that, let's pray. We praise the Lord. We praise you, Lord, that is is all that rages. You're seated. It's finished. We thank you for the grace of God. None of us here can boast. All of us proclaim Christ and Christ alone. So we declare your sufficiency. We declare our necessity for you, Holy Spirit, to reveal And we desire revelation in the innermost parts. We pray for our ears to hear. We pray for our hearts to receive the word implanted. We ask that you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. The first thing I want to talk about is probably the one I'm going to speak most about. And then varying other of the five points or the four points after that may not be in the same degree, but... This is something very close to my heart, and many of you will have heard it before, but I do not tire of saying it over and over again. But before we get into that, I want to remind us of Paul's audience in Ephesians. Paul was there for about two years, and if you consider your culture worse or harder than other cultures, these guys outdid you. These were good pagans, like hardcore. You talk about adultery. To the next degree. You talked about sexual weirdness. Oh yeah. you Fulfilling the lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh. The boastful pride of life. Welcome to Ephesus. And in the midst of that. They were idolaters. They did not give God the glory. The creator. The one that gave them breath. The one that formed them in their mother's womb. They refused to bow their knee to. They pursued gods that would allow them to be the way they are. And instead of receiving God and sort of rising as it were to him, they brought God down to them. So their gods were very similar to them, only more powerful. And we see that obviously in the the Greek gods. Thankfully, we don't have idolatry today. We don't have that in the first world, do we? What? (laughs) I remind you of this. I remind you of How relevant this book is to you sitting here in 2023. How the pursuit of money, gold, all that it can buy is prominent in the culture. It is still there and often invades the church with the promise of health and wealth. Preaching godliness as a means of great gain. Come to Jesus and you'll get these idols. But Jesus says something very different. He says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then these things will follow. But always primary, always in the forefront is Christ and Christ alone. So this is the environment, and this is the people that Paul spent time with. He's been there for over two years. There's no other record of him being anywhere that long. Can you imagine having Paul in the church, in the region, for two years? he would have saturated them with basically visions of heaven and what he had gotten from the Lord himself. The message he delivers to these people is simple, very simple. You actually see it in Athens. You see it in Acts chapter 17. Turn from idols to the living God. Your means of salvation does not come through idols or idolatry or performing good deeds, but by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The salvation is not dependent on just adopting a truth as a worldview, changing your religion, changing a perspective. I mean, this is all fine and good, but you'll see it's actually much deeper than this. It's much more intrusive into your life. Jesus is not just a good teacher pointing us to the path of salvation. He is the very path himself. He's not just helping us out of the water of the world into the boat of salvation. He is the very boat. Jesus said this about himself to Philip, who had hung out with him for a very long time, but still had no revelation of who Jesus is. Just before this, he says, show us how the path to the Father. And he says, Philip, have I not been with you this long? And you still don't know. You can be this close to Jesus and still not have a revelation of this. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you're seeking those three things outside of Jesus Christ, you are in error. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the very pathway. Paul's writings continually challenge the religious minds concerning knowledge, knowledge, just for knowledge's sake. I just got to read more of the Bible. I got to read more. Yes, you do, but don't stop there. That's not what it's about. We need action of faith to partake in Christ. I'll give you some illustrations. I just want to put these for you, just to, to better understand the nature of the relationship a Christian has with Christ. The life jacket, picture yourself, you don't know how to swim, you're way offshore, you're in a small boat and it's leaking, and you can't exit the water as quickly as it's coming in. You look across, there's a life jacket. You know all about the life jacket. You've had time to ponder these things. You've read the side of the instructions on how to put it on, how to secure it. How to put the lashes, you know, on the front and then put between your legs, and you know exactly how to put it on. Will that save you? What is needed to save you from drowning? You need to put it on. This is terminology you will hear, and you'll miss it in Paul's in Colossians, in Galatians. You'll miss it. It's a put on Christ. Yes, believe in, but put on. It's a preposition. These are incredibly important as you look through this. We are not gazing upon truth. We are partaking of truth. We see this as one of the few things given us by God in the New Testament to take communion, to take bread and ingest it, to take juice and ingest it. And as you ingest it, that juice becomes a part of who you are. That bread becomes a part of who you are. It gets intertwined with who you are, it becomes inseparable. This is a hurricane bunker. There are actually people who live in the world, like Florida, who expect hurricanes and typhoons. And you can buy these bunkers. And you can know, I mean, who lives in a place like this? But people live here, live there. You see them every year. But again, I know this seems, I'm, I'm, I'm belaboring a point, but this is the simplicity of the gospel. You can have a bunker, you can know about how the bunker works, you can know when you should use it. You can know, how, the key is to be in the bunker, to get in it. Great theology, great doctrine. You know all about the life jacket. You know all about bunkers. Now it's time to get in. You see, I'll get in when, the, when I see the storm coming, will you? No one is guaranteed tomorrow. No one is guaranteed tomorrow. I hate to say it. There are people dying today that never expected to die in the world. It's a point unto one wants to die and then comes the judgment. Are you ready? Is the life jacket on? Is it secure? Like, I don't like the way it looks in my outfit. Yeah, well, you're gonna have to get over that. Are gonna people aren't gonna mock me? Yeah, people are gonna mock you because you follow Jesus. Yes, get over it. Yes, embrace it. Look at it. A peculiar people, yes, very strange. Yeah. Don't fit in. Well, what do you expect to fit in? They couldn't get on with the holiest man that ever lived. How do they get on with you and me? As as Ravenhill would say. This understanding of the nature of a relationship that we're called to is of paramount importance for the Christian to understand. It's not just acquisition of information. It's an eating. It's a devouring. There's something. It's finding yourself in. We must partake of the gospel. We must partake. It is far more than philosophy. Jesus is the doorway. He is the very person. And this is how Paul starts Ephesians with an incredible song. It's a poem. He links the Christian intimately with who Jesus Christ is. Sorry, this is not ideal, but it is what it is. We have not just believed in him, but actually adopted into the family of God and become what the Bible calls being born again. Are you born again? In this position, we take on his identity. We get a new passport with a new citizenship. My identity is in Christ. It's no longer I that live. It's now Christ that lives in me and the life I now live. I live by faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me. There is no place for dual citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. There is no place for dual passports. Now we still have the other passport. That's the challenge. This is the source of many of the Christians' problems. Continuing to brace our old ways. And walk in our old identity because it's familiar. And often when you're tired or despondent or feeling rejected, you go to the old ways of rejection. You pull out that passport. Yes, it's it's not as pleasant, but it's familiar. Like that abused woman who always seems to find men that will abuse her. There's this weird cycle of dysfunction. And Paul will constantly call the Christian to who they are in Christ. To stop living like mere men. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And those Corinthians are like, what are you talking about? I am a mere man. No, you're not. And once in Christ, once in this new kingdom of God. Paul highlights what it means. to preposition Be in him. These are only a few. But these are of paramount importance as we started this book. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We were chosen before the foundations of the earth, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. We have obtained an inheritance. We have redemption through, remember the road? Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption through his blood. Somebody comes up to you, hey, Nick, where do I get redemption? Well, it's over there. You've got to go through the blood. How do I get the whistle? Well, you just got to go up here, go, go highway, you go up. How do I get redemption? Through the blood. Through the blood. Paul cements us in Christ. We are now in a spiritual sense, inseparable in him. We partake of his location. In Romans chapter 6, he says, we were. And you have to understand the tense. We were crucified with him. We were buried with him. We were in ascension. We now sit with him. You see, Nick, I don't think that's true. Let me show you. This is the Father. He, the father, raised him, the son, from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Are you hearing that? out there. The spiritual realm. And he put all things under his feet. And he gave him to be the head over all things in the church. Which are his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Again, quick question. If we are so connected with him intimately, if he is there, where are those who have put their faith in him? But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What if you're having a bad day? Does it change facts? I'm a Canadian citizen. What if I get in a car accident? I'm a Canadian citizen. What are you talking about? Why would you even ask that question? What if I have a bad time at work or somebody gives me a middle finger in traffic? It's got to do with your citizenship. But this is what we do. I'm having a rough day. God is not. You're a citizen. You have the rights and privileges of those who put their faith in Christ. Second thing, if you got what I was saying there, the intimacy of our relationship with Christ is paramount. The second thing I feel like to point out here is don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget where you've come from. Be humble, and you will be if you don't forget where you've come from. And you will be thankful. Be careful the grumbling and complaining. Remember Israel in the desert. Be careful of it. Be thankful. And you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of the world. According to the prince and power of the air. The spirit who is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among also, whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Do you remember? As you look upon the world and judge them waiting for the wrath of God to come like Jonah, not wanting to tell them to repent how wicked they are. But you were no different. You too were dead, and don't count yourself out. You would be partaking all of the same stuff. Who here freed themselves from sin? No one would stand before God. We were all dead. All of us were lost. All of us were blind. All of us partook of the, 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 the appetites of the flesh. We were drawn with our eyes and our hearts. We partook in that which we should not have partaken in. We were lost. We were blind. But God in his grace touched us. Revived us. Showed us the way. Number three. God saved you. He redeemed you. Brought you into family. You got a job to do, dude. You got work to do. I know it's not, oh, the preacher, he's the minister, he's going, that's his. No, no, dude, everyone in here has got a calling. And if you don't feel a bit of like, oh boy, better get after that. I'm missing it. Because, oh boy, better get after that. God is looking for fruit from people's lives, our lives, who we are. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I believe every one of us that stand before the beam of seat, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that we as Christians stand there, will give an account of how we fulfilled the calling and whether we even cared what God wanted us from our lives. We just wanted the credit card of Jesus' blood and go on and party and continue to live for ourselves. This is not New Testament Christianity. This is not a kingdom citizenship. This is not a kingdom mindset. When we enter Christ, it utterly begins to to transform the way we think. Remember? Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But he begins to to transform the way we act. Bless you. No longer living for self. Hear me on this. No longer living for self. That self gets in there, dude. And self-pity. If you're not going to go self-pride, you're going to go self-pity. But still self focused, no longer living for self and the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life, but for Him, living for Him. My greatest desire is to bring God glory, as the Son said that they would see our good works and glorify me. Wow, Nick, what a great preacher! Wow, look at all the people get he healed. No, give glory to Him, He will not share His glory with another. Anything of any value that will stand the test of time comes from Him, by Him, through Him. The flesh profits nothing. We who were once focused so much on the appetites of self are now yielding our bodies to be useful to him in the kingdom. Using our time, using our finances, using all that we have, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. If you've been in the church a long time, you've sung that song. Have you lived it? You've got works God has called you to do. Don't be indolent. Don't be lazy. Don't, don't neglect so great a salvation. Hebrews chapter 2. Don't neglect it. Neglect is not abuse, right? Neglect is a form of abuse. It just takes way longer. You neglect something, you just, you just, you just slowly drifts. That's what it's like. God has called you to a local body, to a church. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. Amen. But now fellow, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You ain't going solo, bro. And I know you've been hurt. A lot of us go solo because we're done with the church. Don't be done with because God's not done with it. You can be done with what God's done with. May God give us grace for one another because we can't annoy each other. But I have often found that that annoyance of the other person is helping to break something off of you. It's just the truth. We're called to come together as a church. We're called to be a community. There is something that happens when we gather beyond Zoom. I know Zoom is... It's better than nothing, but God wants us to gather together in this room. There's something about all the passports of the kingdom come together. There's something where we bear each other's burden. I'm I'm standing with you. I'm standing with you. And like the the Roman soldiers with the shields of faith, when your faith is lacking, this is the time to get to church. I hate to say it. When you feel sick, it's actually time to go to church. When I'm depressed and I don't feel like I don't... Get your butt out the door. Drag yourself, throw yourself over the line and allow your brothers and sisters to come and be strength to you, to stand. Don't let the devil isolate you. Here's a big important one that Paul brings up often, the importance of love for God and love for his people. Love. First Corinthians 13, we know it. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest... Love is what we take into eternity. The love of God. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's so much in that. That That was fun doing that. I love that passage. It's powerful. Because love is such a familiar word to us. So we're just, boom, depositing what we think love is from the world, right? you heard love is love or lust is lust, whatever you want to say. Cosmo, 40 ways to make love. Like, what 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 does love mean? It's ubiquitous. It's lost its meaning. But Jesus gives an inclination, greater love is no man to lay down his life. Okay, so we're talking about something very different from what I see in the world. And it's only through the study of Scripture and the marinating in the Scripture that our minds begin to change and our hearts begin to change as the Word goes and and divides soul and spirit, thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Because we've been told by people they love us and they don't act like it in our lives. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. (laughs) It's amazing. Why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like X? Why can't you be more? Like, why can't you be more like God? And He's not going to challenge you on something you can't do in Christ. He's not like dangling something, jump. No, He's challenging you on something that's all possible in Christ Jesus. You ever wonder what He's done for us as we sit here as redeemed human beings? You ever think we'll look back one day, and go, oh, I had no idea what's well, all in the book, dude? And that's why we encourage each other today, as it's still today, to press on with good works, to press on in productivity. It's interesting, Ephesians and the church of Ephesus, because there's a lot in the scripture around it, in Acts 19 and Acts 21, 1 Timothy 2. But also in Revelation, it's actually the the first letter that Jesus writes is to this, this region, this church. And they've done a ton of things right. They've got their doctrine dialed. They don't put up with the Nicolaitans. Any apostle that kind of comes, they're like, dude, you ain't of God. They're not like running after like these weird demonic doctrines, trying to take people away from the love for Christ. But this is what he says to them. I know your works, your labors, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that the apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. That, stop there, sounds like a model church. What's the problem, Jesus? Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly I'm remove your lampstand and its place until, unless, sorry, unless you repent. That was good. Thank you. Very quick. Who do you love? <laughs> Who do you love? Who do you love? And he brings this vision together of this love that he, he expounds in this, in, this, in this letter with the church. And he brings them together in, in, in chapter 4. And he's talking about the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, evangelists are there for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So you mean I'm not just supposed to be the only minister or the leadership? No, we're equipping you to be ministers. What are you talking about? I didn't go to seminary, nor did Paul. Don't worry. He's calling, he's equipping us to you go out there. He's showing you, you, no, 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 no. We're here to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to be a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickier men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And that is only exponential now with social media and YouTube. You can get all manner of wacko jacko theology out of well-meaning Christians. And it just tickles you just enough. You go, I like that. I'm inclined to that. You don't know, order off a menu things you don't like. And if we treat the Bible like a menu, which it's not, you eat what's put in front of you, you'll learn to like it. Some things you like already. But you just eat what God gives you. We sit at the table and eat. But Be careful of the, the, the guys that want to tickle ears, who want to appeal to things in you that they've already given into. The trickery. We live in a time, I'm telling you, where we need great discernment. And you need discernment by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, jointed, and knit together by every joint supplies, you're every joint supplying, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share. Are you doing your share? Have you even thought to ask that question, I'm doing my share? Are you a consumer? Are you a participant? Causes growth for the body and edifying in love. This is the beautiful picture of the church. This is what God has called us to. And Paul in this final chapter says this, and we went through it. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Henceforth, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. An incredibly powerful passage of, of what it means. The sub-helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the spirit of righteousness, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the, the gospel shot on our feet. And he says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Praying. You say, Nick, what can I do? You can pray. He often says this, pray without ceasing. This is Paul's exhortation to people. It's one thing for someone just asking someone to intercede for you. But when you start to see who you are in Christ over the, last course, the course of six chapters, you go, you should probably do something. Do you have any conception of who you are in Christ? What is in you? The potential you have in Christ already, without even asking for more. Just let loose what you have. Engage in faith. Pray. Trust God. Persevere. Fight. Stand. This is the calling. No one here is a victim in Christ. You're a victim if you're maybe if you got your old passport. But I'm in Jesus. If everyone denied me in this room, I'm still victorious because I'm in Christ. But it's the truth. Let it sink in, Lord. Let it sink in. Pray always with all prayers and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, that the utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. What's the mystery of the gospel? Christ in you. Huh? Christ in you. He rebukes the core of church. He says, don't you know all sins, all sins are outside of the body, but sexual sin is different. Why? Because it has to do with the body. And your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Will you join the temple of the Holy Spirit with a prostitute? These are not just religious notions. These are facts. I may be boldly the mystery of the God for which I am an ambassador in change and that in I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We ought to speak boldly. Stand with me. I know that was a mouthful. It generally is. But let's trust the Lord. Our eyes are on Him. Where are you at? Well, what do you mean, Nick? Spiritually. Do you have the passport of the kingdom? Or are you still in the old passport? Have you, are you aware of the life jacket? Are you, are you aware of how to use it and how to put it on? But you have not actually put it on? Oh, to be that close and still be cast into hell. The refusal to submit. The refusal to exchange the passport. The refusal to give up your life so that you may find it. Lord, I just pray for each one here. We embrace the truth of the word of God. We thank you that you are for us. And if you are for us, who can be against us? We declare over this church the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We declare that he is seated. And as much as the devil can huff and puff, he can do nothing against you. So Lord, I just pray by faith that you would just draw men and women closer. That you would knock off the things of the world. That you would lead each one to repentance, a repentance not to be repented of. Move upon us, we ask. Break off religious spirits, break off lustful spirits, break off the spirit of the age, break off the humanism, break off the pride we pray. Convict, Lord, the hardest heart in this room. Have mercy on people here. We ask. Have mercy, O God. Oh, let it weigh upon us that one day we will stand before you, Lord. I lift you high. I'm just going to ask these guys to play a song and just, to, just to allow the Spirit, just to, contemplate what has been said. Contemplate the Scriptures.